0: You are listening to the Grace Covenant Cornelius Podcast. We're in this series talking about what does God want. I said this last week and I want to bring it back this week. It's hard to hit a target if you don't know where the target's at, right? if If you have a bow and arrow and you're trying to shoot at a target and you have no idea where the target is and you're just kind of like flinging arrows, you're probably never going to hit the target. Why? Because you don't know where it's at. So it's really important that we know where the target is at so we can hit the target. It's the same in our relationship with God. We really need to, go, we really need to know what does God want? What does God expect from him? What's the target? What does God value so that we can be like shooting at the target? You know, I was thinking about when I was back in college, which was well a few years ago, a lot of years ago. I was back in college. Every class... Every semester began the same way. The first day of the new class in the new semester, the professor would give each student a syllabus. And in the syllabus, there would be a clear definition of what the professor expected kind of an expect- expectation of what we were going to be doing. I, here's the books we, we were supposed to read. Here's the papers we were going to write. Here's the tests that we're going to be given. Then here's the grading skill. In other words, in the syllabus, everything that was going to be expected was defined. If you can think of it like this, Micah 6.8 is God's syllabus to us. What's He telling us? He's telling us what's required of us, what, what He expects of us. Now, if you were not here last week, The broader context of Micah chapter 6 is this. The people of God have not been living like the people of God. They've got busy with life. They've kind of forgot God. They've they've turned to idol worship. And so God's calling them back. Micah 6.8 is almost like a, a court scene where God is bringing a charge against His people, the people of Israel, the Jewish people. And as God brings this charge... They're asking, like in a really sarcastic, mocking way, like, God, what do you want from us? Like, you're so demanding. And and God, in this context, He answers the question with exactly what He wants. We, We talked about the first thing God wants from us is acting justly, that we would act justly. If you were not here, I would encourage you to check out the podcast. And today, we want to look into the second requirement. Of what God requires of us, and it's this: the love, mercy. Turn to your neighbor and say, "Love, mercy." Go ahead and tell them, Amen. "Love, mercy." Next week, Pastor Michelle is going to talk about the third component, which is walk humbly. What does it mean to to, to What does it mean to walk humbly? Right, Cheryl? Three. Thank you. And we're going to walk humbly, so Pastor Michelle is going to talk about that next week. But today we're going to talk about what does it mean to live mercy, to love mercy. Dr. James Dobson, I mean you're familiar with the name Dr. Dobson. Dr. James Dobson, who led Focus on the Family a number of years, saw a sign out in Southern California on a convent. So there's this convent, Southern California, and there was a sign, and the sign read this. Um, absolutely no trespassing, violators will be prosecuted to the full extent of the law, signed, Sisters of Mercy. (laughs) How many of you know there's a disconnect there? Violators prosecuted to the full extent of the law doesn't really align with mercy. Because mercy means this, We we get what we don't deserve. Mercy means this: that we don't we don't demand payment. And you might say, "Well, why do I want to do that?" Because that's exactly what God's done for you. It's what He's done for me. What He's given us He's given us great mercy in our lives, and He expects us then to live that mercy out to others. And I'll get to that more in just a minute. But I want to take you back to the big idea or the key thought for this series. It's there in your sermon notes, the first statement. Here it is. Following Jesus is more than repentance and acceptance. That's the critical first step as we begin the faith journey. But we're called to work out our faith on a daily basis. Now, I don't want to make light of Repentance and acceptance because that's really important. Listen, the only way you can come into a living, life giving relationship with God is through the provision of Jesus Christ. You must repent and accept that of God's provision, the gift of salvation. You can't work your way or earn your way to salvation. Matter of fact, Ephesians 2 um, 8. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9 says, For by grace are we saved through faith and not of our works so that no one can boast. So we're not saved by works, but the, but the grace of God in our lives should produce works. My, my point being this, following Jesus is so much more than just saying a prayer. More than just professing Jesus, as Christ follows, we're called to live Jesus, and this becomes my issue. I have, a, I have a point of concern in the body of Christ today. Now, bigger than Grace Covenant, the church at large, is we have so lowered the standard of what it means to follow Jesus. Well, just say these words after me. Now again, I understand we're only saved by God's grace. There's, there's repentance and there's acceptance. That's the first step. That once you get beyond the first step, listen, you've got to walk out the faith. Paul wrote this in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Pretty direct words. It says, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. Notice this last part. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. We're working it out. We're, we're walking it out. And that connects right to what does God require of me? What does it look like when I'm, when I'm walking out the faith? That's why it's so important that we know what God requires of us. And as Christ followers, we have been the recipients of great mercy. Would you agree with that? The mercy of God, the goodness of God. We have been the recipients of the mercy of God. Now we're directed to live that mercy out. So let's look back to our theme verse. Micah chapter 6 verse 8. It's on the screen. So I'm going to invite you to read this with me this morning. Can we read this together? He has showed you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. So here in this verse... God tells us what's good. He tells us that which He applauds, that which He rewards. But He also tells us that which He requires of us, what he, what he expects from us as to how we process life. So God expects us first to act justly. We talked about that last week. To act justly simply means this. We allow our voice to be heard. We stand up. We stand up against wrong and we bring that which is right. It also means to act justly means we work for the good of the poor and the oppressed. And we're called to act justly. And then the second requirement is is to love mercy. We might say to, to live out mercy. So what is mercy? I have a simple definition for you there in the notes. Mercy is loving kindness and an act of compassion that responds to the needs of others. Mercy's choosing to give others what they don't deserve. Mercy's acting for the good and the benefit of others instead of demanding payment from them. You know the greatest picture of mercy, the greatest illustration of mercy, is what God's done for you. What God did for me. How many of you know we didn't get what we deserve? Turn to your neighbor and give him a high five and say, "Praise God, I didn't get what I deserved." What did we deserve? The Scripture says we deserved death. But in the place of death, we got life. What did we deserve? Condemnation. In the place of condemnation, we were brought into a living, life-giving relationship with God. We were given grace instead of condemnation. So we don't want to talk about what we deserve. That's not a pretty picture. To think about all that we've done, all that we've been, all the stuff of our lives. The good news for us is, is that we didn't get what we deserve. We got life. What's that called? It's called mercy. It's called the mercy of God on our behalf. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians 2.4 wrote these words. But because of his great love for us, God who has got this rich in mercy. I love that. Rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. So the good news today is that God is merciful. And because God is merciful, three statements about God's mercy. The first is this, we don't get what our sins deserve. Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin, the cost of sin, the penalty of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Listen, the gift of eternal life is possible. Hear me, it's possible. Not because we are good. It's possible because God is merciful. Amen. Because God is merciful, we don't get what our sins deserve. Because God is merciful, we experience ongoing forgiveness as we humbly repent. Ongoing forgiveness. How many of you know we get dirty? Come on. I remember when I was a kid growing up uh, in Arkansas on the farm, we didn't do any of this. We were always outside from morning to dark. Um, My Mom wouldn't let us in the house. you get out of the house. We'd be outside. We'd come in at the end of the day, and we would be dirty from head to toe. It was straight to the bathtub. We got dirty. Just in the process of a day as a kid, we got dirty. And I would say to you today, as adults, most of you in the room, being adults, we still get dirty. We sin, we fail, we fall, we mess up. None of us are perfect. None of us can live a life of perfection. So here's the good news. Because of God's mercy, we have ongoing forgiveness for the stuff of our lives, for the dirt of our lives. And verse John 1 John 1.9 says that if we confess our sins, that God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. Well, to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Listen, it's not because you deserve it. It's because God's merciful. Oh, you should shout amen to that one. That is good news today. We have ongoing forgiveness. Not only that, but because of God's mercy, we live in and live out the goodness of God. In other words, we get blessed in ways that are so far beyond what we deserve, all because of God's mercy. Any, anyone in the room today feel like you've been blessed beyond what you deserve besides me? What is it? It's called the mercy of God. The goodness of God. You know, David in Psalm 23 wrote about this. You know, we, we know Psalm 23, verse 1, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want." And we, we kind of get lost and we forget about verse 6. But the last verse of Psalm 23, listen to what David wrote. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord Forever. King James Version says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. This is what David knew. He knew because God is merciful, He was going to bring goodness into his life. We can live confident of that. Because God is merciful, I'm confident of His goodness in my life. Again, so much more than I ever deserved. Not because I've been a good boy. Follow me around for a while. You say, whoa, he's not a good boy. I know that. I follow you around, I would probably say the same thing. Well, but, but it's the goodness, it's the goodness of God that brings blessing in our lives. So as we, think of, as we think of mercy, God our Father is like the ultimate illustration, the ultimate picture of what, of what mercy looks like. The only way we can have relationship with a holy righteous God is because of the mercy that we've received. Now, we're challenged to live that very mercy out to others. The very mercy, because we've been recipients of God's mercy. Now we're to love mercy, to live that. Out. Matter of fact, Jesus said this in Luke chapter 6, verse 36, a pretty powerful statement. Notice what Jesus said. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Just as your Father is full of mercy, so you should be full of mercy. Wow. Jesus is basically saying, hey, you have a model. You've received great mercy. It's evident every day. You're living out salvation every day. You're living in the goodness of God. You're living in mercy every day. He says now that you've experienced that, man, you, you need to go live, you need to go live that out. So what does, it look like? what does it look like to love mercy? What does it look like to live out mercy? I want to give you three statements really quick this morning that I believe summarize what it looks like to love mercy or to live mercy. The first is this. We choose to forgive others as God has forgiven us. In other words, we don't hold on to grudges. We don't hold on to offenses. We don't hold on to the wrong that someone's done to us. No, we we let it go. We we forgive others as we have been as we have been forgiven. In Colossians chapter three, verse thirteen, a powerful passage of scripture, the apostle Paul wrote these words Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Notice this last line. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. So then we have to stop and ask. And you've heard me talk about this before, but I want to say it again. We have to stop and ask, how has the Lord forgiven me? Because that's the same way that I'm supposed to forgive others. How's the Lord forgiven me? Completely? Continually, unconditionally. In the same way, we're to give that mercy. We're to give that mercy to others. We forgive as as we've been forgiven. There's a true story that illustrates the mercy we should be living out and giving giving to others. It's the story of a young girl by the name of Lisa Turpin. Lisa Turpin, nine years of age, was playing in her front yard with a bunch of her friends. And out of nowhere, there was a young man who was intoxicated, driving a car, come up into the yard, struck this nine-year-old girl and took her life. Hit her with a car. Just like that, her her life was gone. Well, obviously the young man was was arrested. When it came time for his trial, the mother of Lisa Turpin, who was a devoted follower of Christ, the mother of, of the young girl, showed up at court and she pleaded on behalf of the young man. The young man who took the life of her daughter. She said to the judge and the jury, says one individual's already lost their lives. There's no need of a second. He'll have to live with the consequences of this for the rest of his life. Said rather than sending him to prison, I plead, I plead with you. Will you send him to Teen Challenge, which is a ministry for for a young men who's struggling with addictions? And the judge did. Instead of sending him to prison, sent him to Teen Challenge. It was a turning point in his life. But she showed up in the courtroom where she could have screamed guilty. She pleaded for his life. Look, that's what mercy looks like. We we give forgiveness as we've been forgiven. In Matthew 18, there's an interesting passage of scripture. Where Peter, Peter, the disciple, comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, how many times should I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Like seven times. And he thought he was being very generous because the law required only three times. So he was doubling it plus one. Like seven times? And and Jesus, in response, says, no, not seven times, but 77 times. Or in other words, without end. And then to illustrate that principle, Jesus tells a parable. We've called it the parable of the unmerciful servant. He tells a story, and in this story, there's a servant who owes the king a lot of money. Ten thousand talents, it would be millions of dollars today. And the king calls him in and says, hey, you need to pay me what you owe me. You need to settle your debt. And the man says, hey, I, I, I'm broke, don't have any money. I, 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 there's no way I can even begin to pay this debt back. And the king says, hey, then your wife, your children, sold all your goods sold so that you can begin to pay the debt. And, and the scripture says as Jesus was telling the story, this man pleaded for mercy. Interesting, the, the scripture says the king like totally wiped out his debt and let him go. Canceled all that he owned, millions of dollars. Well, that one who had just been forgiven, the one who had just been given mercy, goes out and finds one of his buddies who owes him a couple bucks and demands payment. And his buddy says, I'm sorry, man, I don't, I, don't even, I, don't, I don't have any money. Maybe next week or the following week I can get it to you, but I don't have any money now. He says, fine, I want your family sold into slavery, your goods. I'm going to take those because you owe me some money. In other words, the one who had received great mercy refused to give mercy. Well, the king heard about this, and he called the servant back in, the one who refused to give mercy, and he said, "Hey, what's the deal?" He says, "I wiped out all of your debt, millions, and you can't forgive a a few bucks." And it's interesting. This is the way this this parable ends. Matthew eighteen thirty five. Jesus said, this is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from the heart. Here's a tendency that we have. Probably none of you. It's all the folks who came to the earlier services. That's why I gave them hell over this. We love to receive the mercy from God. And again, not you, the other folks. They refuse to give mercy to others. We love to receive mercy, but we get stingy when it comes to giving mercy to others. Listen, what does it mean to love mercy? It means that we forgive others as we've been forgiven. We let it go. I think certainly love mercy means this. We choose to help people who are in places of need. Rather than ignoring people in need or, or saying, hey, someone else can take care of the need, we move into action. Then so, mercy never moves away from the need. Mercy always moves toward the need bring help, to bring hope, to bring relief, and you say, well, I, I don't have much. Listen, this is what I've come to discover as we're willing to step up and stand up and move toward the need. God shows up. It's like Mike said earlier, listen, when we move toward God, God moves toward us. Pretty amazing. So what's mercy look like? We, we respond we respond to help folks in need. First John chapter 3, verse 17 and 18 says, if, if anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with, with word or tongue, but with actions and in truth. So the love of God, the love of God should be fleshed out in our lives With acts of mercy and that we're moving to help people in points and places of need. So that's why we have ministries here at Grace Covenant like Grace Feeding Grace. Where the Grace Covenant family brings groceries to help the Grace Covenant family. Listen, your pantry may be like full and running over. But I'm telling you, there's folks in our church family whose pantry is bare. And so, when you bring groceries, what are you doing? You're living out mercy. You're moving toward that point in place of someone being in need. You know, right now there's this crisis playing out, this political crisis playing out in Nicaragua. And we have church family. We've been down there for, I don't know, 18, 20 years helping build churches. And so, we just have some great family and friends in Nicaragua. And this political crisis playing out, it's been really tough. And grocery stores are bare, food they can't get food to people in need. And and just recently, in two separate um, in two separate times, we sent a total of about six thousand dollars to Nicaragua to get to buy rice and beans, really simple. Just basic so people would have food. What is that? It's 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 individuals who are followers of Christ moving toward the need. It's the same like with with Hurricane Florence and Hurricane Michael, as this devastation has come, but we, we're we're a part. We're trying to be a part of the solution. We're moving toward the need. We've sent dollars. We've sent resources to help people in crisis. Why? Because that's what it looks like when we love mercy. Like the crisis in Puerto Rico, it's amazing when one of these storms come through, one of these hurricanes or an earthquake happens, you know, we're all up in the air for about two weeks because the media is blowing it up. And when the media quits talking about it, we forget about it. But how many of you know those, those folks are still in crisis? They're still in need. That's why this in the month of November, we're sending a team down to Puerto Rico. This will be our second team that we're sending down. We're going to be working with a couple churches, helping rebuild what we're moving toward the need. I'd love to have you join that team. If you can go in November, you can go to our our mission board and get information. Why do we do that? I mean, like we got our own church here to build. Listen, we do it because it's what it looks like when we live out mercy, we move toward the need what Jesus talked about in the parable of the Good Samaritan. Most of you are familiar with the story. There's a man who was robbed, who was left to die. The priest comes along, sees the need and walks on the other side. Levi comes along, same thing, sees the need, sees this man in crisis and walks away. Away from the need. Here comes the Samaritan. You've got to know this about Samaritans. The Samaritans hated the Jews. The Jews hated the Samaritans. Yet it was the Samaritan who responded to the Jew. And Jesus said, this is what mercy looks like. You move toward the need. So we choose. We choose to help people who are in places of need. I think, lastly... When we love mercy, it means we choose to live out loving kindness, loving kindness to others. In other words, we choose to live our lives to be a blessing to others, to add value to others. One of the most practical applications of mercy that I've read about recently was a lady who was, true story, I'm not making this up, true story. She was driving a brand new car. Her husband had just bought her a really nice car. She had had it for two weeks. She's driving this really nice car, gets into an accident, and it's her fault. Not only is she just emotionally wrecked about creating this problem, but she's also really upset about what her husband's going to say when she has to tell him. Now, if you've ever been in an accident before, you know the policeman comes, and he wants to see your registration card and your insurance card. The policeman comes, and she reaches into the glove compartment, to get registration card and insurance information. And right there on top of those two documents, she found a note, a handwritten note from her husband. And this is what it said. Dear Mary, when you need these papers, remember it's you that I love, not the car. (laughs) Isn't that awesome? What is that? It's loving kindness. Like before it ever happens, there's already love in action. What is that? It's called mercy. That we, would, that we would live out that loving kindness to others rather than giving them what's due. But we would look for opportunities to be a blessing to others, even if they're not blessable. How I many I mean, you know some folks who just, they're not blessable? Come, It's okay. Don't look to your left or right. If they're sitting beside you, just raise your hand. So, some folks are difficult. But what does mercy mean? It, it it means that we bless individuals even if they don't, even if they don't deserve it. Because mercy's not about what we deserve. That's exactly what King David did for Mephibosheth. Great story. I don't have time to totally unpack the story. So I encourage you sometime this week, read 2 Samuel chapter 9. It's the story of Mephibosheth. So let me just quickly summarize the story. King David has come to a place of security and success as the king. All is well. I mean, he has all that he he needs and a lot more than he needs. In the midst of his success, in the midst of his security, he asked this question of one of the servants. He says, do you know if there's anyone left of the house of Saul that I can show loving kindness to? Interesting. In 2 Samuel 9, verse 3, where you find the word loving kindness, not that I'm a Hebrew scholar, but the, the Hebrew word here is hesed. It's the same word you find for mercy in Micah 6, 8. It's the same word you find in Psalm 23, 6, Hesed. David said, is there anyone left of the house of King Saul that I can show loving kindness to? Now this is quite unusual because in this time and culture, if you became the king and there was family members left from the prior king, you would annihilate all of them so they would never be a threat to your reign. Yet David is asking this question, is there anyone left of King Saul's house that I can show loving kindness to? That I can add value to? That I can be a blessing to And one of the servants, his name is Ziba. Ziba says to King David, well, actually there is. Um, There's Mephibosheth, the grandson of Saul. Um, He's crippled in both feet. Interesting. Let me tell you about the crippled in both feet part. When King Saul and Jonathan, his son, were killed on the battlefield, the servant who was caring for Mephibosheth, he was just an infant at the time, was fleeing to safety because the king and the next in line in succession had just been killed. It's not safe for the king's grandson. So she's taking this infant. She's fleeing the palace. She trips, falls, drops Mephibosheth, and as a result of that, he's crippled and he's disabled. Not only is he disabled, it's interesting Scripture says that Mephibosheth was crippled in both feet and he was living in a place called Lodabar. The word Lodabar actually means a barren place, a desert place. So here he is, disabled, crippled in both feet and living in a barren land. Now Let me tell you why I love this story. I think that is so a picture of us. The story is about Mephibosheth, but it's really also about us. We were, we were disabled in our lives, crippled in our feet, living in a barren land. And listen, God sought us out so that He could show loving kindness to us. He pursued us to bring us. Listen, we couldn't get to Him, so He came to us and He brought us into His presence. Amazing. So David, King David, finds out there is a family member left. He says, hey, go get Mephibosheth. Now, can you imagine Mephibosheth? I mean, he's being called to the palace before the king, and he's the grandson of the former king. He's probably thinking, oh, it's the the end. Tried to hide out, couldn't hide out. He's found me. I'm going to die. Fear, anxiety. Mephibosheth comes to the palace in the presence of David. It's a beautiful, a beautiful story where David embraces Mephibosheth. It actually makes him as one of his own sons. Talking about loving kindness, and the place where there could have been death, there's like, there's like total restoration. And the story ends this way: 2 Samuel chapter nine, verse thirteen. It says, and Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table and he was crippled in both feet. Isn't that amazing? Well, because of the loving kindness of David, he was taken from a barren place and in his crippled state, he was always at the king's table. It's a beautiful picture of, of loving kindness and I believe it's, it's how God's called us to live. That we would be looking, that we would be looking for opportunities to add value to others. Listen, that's what I. Every day, every day, you and I have an opportunity to be a blessing to others, in small ways and big ways. Every day, you have that opportunity to live out hesed, to live out mercy, to live out loving kindness, just by making like a deposit in someone's life. And in that, it changes their lives. So as we have received loving kindness from God, as we've been blessed beyond measure, we want to we live that out as we choose to be a blessing to others. So, so here's, here's the conclusion today. Just as we have received great mercy, in our state of being disabled, in our barren place, just as we have received great mercy so we're called to live that mercy out, to love mercy. So may we forgive as we've been forgiven. May we we move toward people in need and bring help and hope. May we look for opportunities to live out loving kindness. Because that's what it looks like when we love mercy. Would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you this morning for your great mercy to us. God, I thank you that you are rich in mercy. That there's this overflow of mercy. Because Lord, I realize I realize, God, I, I don't deserve it. I realize I could never, Lord, I could never come to a place of being completely right, completely holy. Now, Lord, that's true for everyone in the room today. So God, we thank you for your mercy to us. Lord, that you came to that barren place we were at in our disabled state and you brought us into your presence. For that we're grateful. And Lord, I pray today not only for myself, but all of my friends here. Lord, I think this is a sermon that's not just for a couple, but Lord, it's for all of us. Holy Spirit, we ask today that you would help us forgive as we've been forgiven. And I know, Lord, there may be some here who've been injured deeply. They've been betrayed. They've been taken advantage of. And wow, that that wound runs deep. God, what I know is that they can't move beyond that. They stay stuck. So, Lord, as we have been forgiven, so may we forgive. Holy Spirit, help us to let it go. To refuse bitterness, to refuse uh, an unhealthy attitude to settle within us simply because we refuse to forgive. May we forgive as we've been forgiven. Holy Spirit, help us to move toward people in need. And again, I know that oftentimes we think, well, I don't have anything I can give. But what I know is when we stand up, you show up. That may we be willing just to step out and, and and to love mercy. And Lord, in that you're going to do more than we ever thought possible. And thirdly, Holy Spirit, I ask that you help us live out loving kindness. For that individual who should have merged long before they did on the interstate and they want in, help us to live out loving kindness. For that individual who's in our workplace who, Maybe it's been overlooked and feels unwanted. Help us to add value to that individual. Lord, it's really in those everyday places. Lord, in in our marriages, help us to live out husband to wife and wife to husband loving kindness. To add value to. And Holy Spirit, we, we need help living this out every day need help. And Lord, as as we do, God, what I know is how we're going to honor you, and we're going to find so much more joy in life, and we're going to make a difference in the lives of others. So every day, Holy Spirit, help us just help us remember to act justly to love mercy. And I pray these things in Jesus' name.